0: Our final speaker is uh, Mr. Tom Lang, who's a science communicator working at Ceres, where his job involves trying to figure out exactly how sad to make primary school kids about climate change. <laughs> On the side, he designs board games, does comedy, and tries to figure out exactly how sad to be about climate change. Uh, he also wins the Laboratory John Farnham Award for, uh, for Most Times Back. Um, <laughs> He, I think he's the only person to have spoken in every year that Laboratory has existed, uh, and we thank him for that and welcome him to the stage. I haven't told them that I've been addict- evicted and I'm living here. Um, I want to talk about... Actually, it's kind of fitting uh, that we had the little uh, thing about magic and science before, because my guy is, oh boy, it's one of those, just actually like the last uh, scientist, he's one of those scientists that you read the Wikipedia page and then you read a book about him and then there's five more books and they made a play and a film. And he's, it's a story about NASA and rockets and weird sex stuff and magic and Scientology and Howard Hughes and science fiction. I'm just... Yeah, he's called Jack Parsons. Has anybody heard of him? Oh, you're about to. He's, he's very cool. So he was born in 1914. His name was Marvel Whitehead Parsons, which obviously, if you rearrange it, you get the anagram, I am Lord Sweatshop Envies, which doesn't quite work as well as it, as well as it should. Um, And obviously, and he was named after his father, who was also called Marvel. And obviously, seems like a great idea to name your kid the same name as you. But pretty quickly, you work out that it's annoying and dumb. So everybody everybody just called him Jack. Um, And Jack, as a child, was kind of a solitary, weird kid. He had two great loves that he would carry with him his entire life. And the first one was rocketry. Okay, he had a friend... Uh, he had, like, like, one good friend, uh, and they'd hang out in the backyard making rockets uh, just out of, like, old fireworks. They got pretty good. They were casting aluminium, they were binding together stuff with glue. Their little rocket club had a motto, Per Aspera Ad Astra, through hardship to the stars. And I think if your 12-year-old is building rockets and has a Latin motto, keep an eye on him. <laughs> that is a red flag. But not as bad as his other hobby, which was dark magic. (laughs) He tried to summon Satan into his room uh, at one point when he was young. And he kind of gave up on on dark magic for a while after that. Not because it didn't work, but he was worried it worked too well. (laughs) And maybe it did. Uh, so he, he did okay with school. Um, he was expelled from one school because he blew up the toilets, but he went to another school, finished his decree, degree there. And I want you to keep in mind for the rest of the story that that is the highest formal qualification he ever got, was a high school diploma. Um, he tried to go to uni, do some chemistry and things. He was very smart, but it was expensive. Uh, he didn't really have the patience for it. He figured he'd do a lot better, just kind of just going his own way. He still had his little rocket club with his friend. Um, They were still blowing stuff up in the backyard, just started with craters. He went to work uh, as a teenager at the Hercules Powder Company, which at that point made one-third of all the TNT in the United States, which is a great place when you like blowing things up. Um, I reckon a lot of that TNT walked out the door in his pockets. That's actually a fact. It did. Uh, And he used it to blow up more stuff. He made friends with a bunch of students from Caltech uh, to get access to the Caltech facilities. Um, Caltech being the California Institute of Technology. They had, I don't know, presumably big concrete pads or things that you could set stuff on fire with, whatever it is you need to invent rockets back then. Uh, they made a little, a little club called Galkit, oh, the acronyms, uh, which stood for the Guggenheim Aeronautics Laboratory at the California Institute of Technology, Galkit. Okay, it was him, his childhood friend, few PhD students and people who liked rockets. They'd hang around smoking weed, writing science fiction, blowing stuff up, it sounded like a good life. Um, Now, on the side, he met a woman called Helen Northrup uh, at a church dance and they married and he was the worst husband. (laughs) Jack Parsons was a bad man to be married to. He spent most of his money funding the Galkit rocket experiments. He brewed, brewed nitroglycerin on the front porch for spare cash. He, he sold a wedding ring. Um, bad, bad person. And this, it, this wasn't even, like, something that was going places, according to anybody. Rockets in the 1930s, yes, the 1930s, um, were, were dumb. They were a thing that Flash Gordon wrote on. Or was he 1930s? I'm going to say he was. Wonder Woman or something. Um, Little kids read stories about rockets. It wasn't a real thing. The space is dumb. Okay, important stuff is on the earth. So, what are you doing with rockets? You know what was cool in the 1930s it was black magic. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. So, some friends were like, hey, there's this cool thing that's happening. It's a bit of a black magic church. Maybe you should come check it out. He was like, that's cool. Uh, I summoned Satan when I was a kid, but whatever, this will probably be fine. Uh, He went along to the Thelemic Church, okay, uh, to a Gnostic mass, whatever that is, and this this is the church that was founded by Alistair Crowley, who you may have heard of as like the guy of black magic. He looked like an evil Alfred Hitchcock in like a triangle hat. He was like, he was just the guy. Look up Alistair Crowley, he was like the warlock of Britain or America, or everywhere, the whole world. He basically invented that new black magic thing, and, and Jack Parsons got it in a, in, into it in a very big way, okay? He got Helen into it, husband of the year. Uh, he, got, he got Helen's 16-year-old sister Betty into it, husband of the century, um, and we'll come back to Betty, actually, because when you look up Helen Northrup, no Wikipedia page. When you look up Betty, huge Wikipedia page. So she's got stories to tell. Uh, but yeah, so it was the kind of black magic culty kind of church. A lot of weird sex stuff, maybe some funny hats and cool robes, bit of sacrifice here and there. Probably not human sacrifice, but some chickens would have, would have come to a bitter end. Um, but let's leave that and go back to the rockets for a while. So we're at Galkit. Uh, they don't have a lot of cash because no one cares about rockets. And they're like, hang on a sec. There's wars and stuff happening. Maybe we can rebrand. Instead of rockets, we'll say we're doing aeronautics, okay? We're not going to make stuff go straight up very fast because there's no Germans up there. We're going to start sideways sideways very fast. Lots of Germans that way. The government bought it. They funded it. Uh, The military will have... Like, a thousand bucks, which was a lot of money in the 1930s. Uh, And then they made some really good rockets, because he'd been training his whole life for this moment, sticking gunpowder together with glue, wrapping it in, like, bits of aluminium. Um, The government was like, great work. You're literally the only people making rockets right now. Literally, you're the first people we've ever paid to make rockets, and you have a high school diploma. Have another 10,000 bucks. They spent at least a quarter of it repairing bits of Caltech that they'd blown up. (laughs) Um, So they work on these rockets for a while. They're not going anywhere very fast. Like They blow some bits off planes. They they improve the formula, but they're still working on these, these things called solid fuel mortars, which basically you plug on the back of a plane so that instead of the plane taking off over a long runway, it takes off over a very short way runway very, very quickly, but it keeps going too quickly or blowing up. Um, But they're having a lot of fun. And then World War II starts, and they will look at each other and they go, crap. If we don't actually get one of these rockets working super well, super fast, we're all going to be drafted and die. And so they get their crap together, and 53 iterations later, they have Formula 53, which is the good one. It's the one everyone's been waiting for. It's powerful, it's 400 times more powerful than Formula 23, which was their big one before then. It's portable, it's consistent. It, it does the same thing every time. And most importantly, it's storable. You get this chunk of solid fuel, they've wrapped it in, uh, uh, shoot, what's the stuff that you make roads out of? Not bitumen, asphalt, asphalt. They wrap it in asphalt and you can just put it in a cupboard just forever and it will stay the same. And before this, the problem with solid fuel is if you made it and then you left it overnight, the constituents would change and you'd blow up a plane. And now they have this thing that works so well, the government is like, sold, we want 2,000 of them. Okay, so they were in business. Back to the temple. Right, so the dark magic cult is still going on. It's happening in a really big way. Um, Helen... Goes off for a holiday at some point, probably for very good reasons. Uh, In the meantime, Jack Parsons starts an affair with Betty, Helen's younger sister. Right, Helen's not cool with this when she gets back. And this is, it's a pretty cool free love kind of temple because that's the whole point of being in a dark magic cult in the 1930s is you get to have sex with everybody else's wives and husbands. So Helen comes back and Jack's like, come on, this is what we do here. Helen hooks up with another guy in the cult. Everyone's pretty happy. They all move in together into a huge house with the rest of the cult. They've suddenly got this giant cult lodge happening. And the neighbors friggin' hate it because it's doing what you'd expect. Wild sex parties, there's, there's singing, there's, uh, what do we have, livestock? They raised livestock for meat and sacrifice. The police were called many times for sexual deviancies, including a naked pregnant woman jumping through a bonfire, uh, but they never found any evidence of illegal activity. Uh, I don't know if that's illegal or just the neighbors hated it, understandably, but you, you'd be entertained as a, as a, what do they call it, a curtain twitcher back then? What are they doing now? Naked pregnant women, Ugh, oh, shame. Um, And you might think, oh, here's Jack Carson. He's got himself involved with a cult. That's going to be a distraction. That's bad for his wartime rocketry activities. People in the cult complained Jack Parsons was a bad influence on the rest of the cult. He's doing too much sex stuff and drug stuff. This used to be a nice cult. (laughs) Back to the rocketry. So, it's World War II. The Germans have invented the V-2, which is a giant flying rocket bomb. Uh, the Americans go, ah, of course, that's what we want. We want a Me Too, and we know the guys to make it. Me Too? Like a V2? Don't worry about it. Um, uh, <laughs> we know the guys to make it. Get me Jack Parsons. He's the best stuff blower-upper we have. They're like Jack Parsons and your, your gang, Galkit. They just We're going to throw money on you. We're going to throw so much money on you until basically you become the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Okay, So that's what they did. They threw money at them until they became the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and were in like serious business. Um, suddenly, they had, they had millions of dollars, even almost millions of dollars in 1930 dollars. Uh, they were making rockets. They were making bombs. They were making all of the flying, exploding things they needed in the war. But at that point, Jack... Was not quite um, In his element anymore because he was a he was a practical man. He was a a small-scale guy He liked blowing stuff up and doing things and not having people tell him what to do and suddenly he didn't fit in a large military blowing stuff up organization He was a he was a small-scale guy. So he kind of got edged out and also there was the cult stuff, which everybody found a bit weird he got kind of edged out of the JPL And that was the end of his involvement with it. The JPL went on to become one of the founding parts of NASA. Okay? Put people in the moon. In fact, Jack said in 1947, I believe rockets will send people to the moon. And he was right. He's a very smart guy. But back to the cult, right? So, you know what? There's so much stuff to get through here, I'm going to have to just fast forward a bit. He was a nut. He would greet people at the door with a snake around his neck. His mailbox was a mannequin in a tuxedo holding a bucket. <laughs> he, he just let anyone come and crash at the cult house, but they weren't allowed to believe in God. They had to be real deviants, including a certain L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, you've heard of him. He founded Scientology, big science fiction writer. He hadn't founded Scientology yet. He was just a weirdo. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard came along and stole Betty off Jack, right? Oh, my God, this is crazy. And so Jack, very upset right now, because there's nothing worse than having your wife stolen, except having your wife stolen in a situation where you're not allowed to be angry about it because you're in a cult. You have to be cool. Uh, so Jack decided to take all of that pent-up sexual energy and put it in magic, you know? He was, so he decided to summon an ancient Babylonian goddess, and he got Elron Hubbard to help him out with it. Basically, the trick is, take notes, because I didn't know this, the trick to summon an ancient Babylonian goddess is you gotta ma- masturbate onto like a magic tablet while Sergei Prokofiev's second violin concerto plays. <laughs> That's how they did it in Babylon. That's how we're gonna do it now. Take notes. Elron <laughs> Hubbard helped. Um, I don't know how. So they did that. Jack was pretty sure it worked uh, because pretty soon after he met a lady um, who he thought may have been the reincarnation of that Babylonian goddess, they hit it off pretty well. They decided to make a moon child. Now, you guys obviously know what a moon child is. It's like when you've got, it's like Jesus, but more spacey, basically. It's like an immaculate conception space Jesus. He was like, if I can't get to the moon with rockets, I'm going to do it with magic. He was losing his shit a little bit at this point. Things were not going well. Uh, Elron and Betty scammed him pretty hard. Uh, They tried to escape on a yacht. He used magic to make the yacht come back to land. Other people said it was just a storm, but he was pretty sure it was magic. He was like a crazy magnet. Um, He went to work for Howard Hughes for a while. Uh, He couldn't work for the government any longer because they thought he was a communist, which he kind of was, but like a super magic communist. He went to work for Howard Hughes. And then he left Howard Hughes and went to work for Israel. And then he was accused of spying on Howard Hughes for Israel, which was kind of true. Um, And after that, he just kind of kept busy doing special effects for movies until he blew himself up. Oh, uh, he was a bit of a jerk, whatever. But he blew himself up, and everyone's like, hang on a second. Now, Jack Parsons has been playing with explosives since about age five, all right? He's not blowing himself up. He knows what he's doing. There's a lot of, like, his whole life was lived in suspicious circumstances. He died in suspicious circumstances, but nobody could figure out which ones. Was it Howard Hughes? Was it the FBI? Was it Zionists? Was it suicide or was it magic? Was it all of the above? All we know is he's probably dead. (laughs) Probably. They found most of him. (laughs) Now, um, that is where his story ends, and considering that in that time, he invented, n- basically invented NASA, basically invented rockets. Werner von Braun, who is known as the father of rocket science, says, actually, I think Jack Parsons should be called the father of rocket science, because he did more. Uh, he, he met and inspired Elron Hubbard. He became basically the biggest shot at the uh, Thalamic Temple. Uh, he died having married three different people some of the Babylonian goddess uh, got involved and made enemies with pretty much every major player. He was 38. (laughs) Right? I'm almost 30, and I haven't married or blown up anything. (laughs) He, as as a bit of a memorial, they named a crater on the dark side of the moon after him, which I think is very cool. The Jack Parsons Crater in 1972. Uh, And that, you've just got to look into it. There's so many stories that I haven't even told. He was involved in police investigations about car bombs because he was an expert on everything. Um, But I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, I just want you to think about the fact that this is a guy that just failed pretty hard at pretty much everything but kept going so hard you didn't even notice. Like, he was expelled, he he dropped out of university multiple times, he never had funding, he lost so many marriages, he blew himself up, everybody hated him, (laughs) but he still did all this really amazing, crazy stuff. And I want to end this with a poem, which makes very little sense to me, that he wrote. I height Don Quixote, I live on peyote, marijuana, morphine, and cocaine. I never know sadness, but only a madness that burns at the heart and the brain. I see each child woman, ecstatic, inhuman, angelic, demonic, divine, each wagon a dragon, each beer mug a flagon that brims with ambrosial wine. I think it speaks for itself. Thank you very much.